in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? It's movie night. I'm excited. All right. We're working hard. We're working nine to five. But before we do that, we got to introduce a great guest. Speaking of five, I think uh, this is his fifth time on the show, right? We got to get his jacket for the Five Timers Club, Mr. DJ Bryant. What a segue. Yeah. DJ. Well, hello. Hello. Yeah. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How about y'all? Good, good, good. Let's kick this thing off. And so today's movie features Miss Dolly Parton. And she's a renowned breakthrough female musician. So who's another? impactful female musician who you love and just want to give a shout out to here on the show dj i camp with five i'm going to start off with Cher, who is still making music at 70 plus years old and is a legend i think aside from that we got annie lennox lady gaga aretha franklin and stevie nicks it's a hard one for me to choose just one well we're gonna let all of those go through because they're all good so chad can you follow that up I'm going a different genre than all of DJ's mentions. I'm going with Lizzie Hale. I am a huge fan of Hailstorm. I'm a huge fan of what the women of rock are doing right now. And Lizzie Hale pops up everywhere. So kudos to her. She is great. And my choice here is probably a direct influence to Lizzie. I love Miss Joan Jett. She's a Pennsylvanian. Actually, so is Lizzie Hale. Actually, a lot of Pennsylvania choices there. So, uh. Ms. Joan Jett helped break a lot of barriers. She rocked uh, when women were told to play silk string guitars and to keep it quiet and in the coffee shop. She didn't play by those rules, so very cool for her. You could say she didn't care about her reputation. Nah. <laughs> now, DJ, what is the last movie you saw? Last movie I saw was Coda, 2021 Apple TV+. Plus. Mm, Academy Award winning. Yes. I haven't gotten to this one yet. How did it go down for you? I liked it. So it's definitely one of those films that I would share with my parents because it's the humor is just edgy enough, but not too edgy. It's a really sweet story. And I was crying throughout most of the movie in a good way. Okay. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. And Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you saw? It was movie night with my daughter last night. So we checked into Disney's Moana. Good times had by all. Okay. I just watched Through the Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is another Oscar-winning effort. I'm a Jessica Chastain fan, and she, she did an amazing job in that. So That's a great movie. I love it. I was not expecting to like it, given the subject matter, but they challenged me as an audience. I got more out of it than I thought I was going to, so uh, you're right. I, I kind of went in thinking, eh, I don't know about this. But it won me over. Oscar deserved, though. Let's start off today's movie. Chad, what are we going to be doing today? From 1980, 9-5. That's right. This movie is a Jane Fonda vehicle, and she brings along with her Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton, Dabney Coleman, 
Elizabeth Wilson and Sterling Hayden. The year is 1980. The budget is $10 million. It grosses $103 million. It's just, it's 10 times what it costs to make it. It's a huge return for it. Massively successful. Places number two in the box office. That's impressive given that this is a comedy movie. It comes in behind only Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. That made a ton of money, so it just shows you what kind of box office performance this had. It comes ahead of Stir Crazy. IMDb gives this a 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 83% and an audience score of 74%. Given the high box office returns and the accolades that it gets, I'm surprised that these these percentages seem low. I'm, I'm curious about that. We'll talk why why you think that might be. It's, it's a two-time Grammy Award winner for Best Country Song for the song 9 to 5 and a Grammy Award winner for Best Female Country Vocal Performance. It is an Academy Award nominee for Best Original Song. The, it doesn't get the Oscar on that one. And the Writers Guild of America Award nomination as well for Best Written Comedy. And AFI gives this some distinction. It gives us the number 74 laughs movie for the 100 Years of Laughs or 100 Greatest Comedies. And it also has it at number 78 for greatest songs from a movie. So for the song 9 to 5. So this movie has its place in history. The critics clearly are approving of it at the time. It spurred on a successful sitcom that comes on after it. And that was on for 85 episodes. And Dolly Parton's younger sister, Rachel Dennison, played Parton on that TV show. So this was clearly a movie that everybody responded to, but DJ, how did you respond to it? I mean, I've loved this movie ever since I first saw it as a kid. I very clearly remember this always being on in the house and watching it now post-COVID, post-lockdown and the Great Resignation, it, it is still so relevant to today. So I think it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So you came in as a kid. Do you feel like it, your eyes were taking it in differently as a kid? Or was it actually clicking for you at that point? And as you got older, you're like, oh, I've entered the workforce now. I'm viewing this in a whole different way now. 100% that. I had no idea what I was watching as a kid. I just knew there were like cartoon characters in it at points. And I just thought it was really fun as well. It had a peppy song. So, so you're getting a lot more out of it as you have aged. Definitely. Chad, what about you? Had you taken in 9 to 5 before? I don't think I'd taken it in from start to finish ever. I'd certainly caught portions of it. I feel like this is one of those movies that was just on TV constantly. So I'd seen snippets here and there. But yeah, this was my first time straight through. And like DJ, I, for me, it's, it's in the same realm as Office Space of it's funnier and, and sadder now. Uh, there's... <laughs> There's a bit of that darkness in the in the comedy here, like, oh yeah, this this is funny, but also yeah, this is this is my actual life too. Okay, well, don't drink the rat poison, but uh, I I had never seen this one before, and I'm surprised. Uh, this was this was one that I don't know why nobody recommended it to me. Just flat out, short of having seen that it is on the AFI 100 movies list, and maybe being vaguely aware of. Like who was in it? Never seen it on TV. Just never came across it. So I'm, I'm the bad movie watcher this time, and I this I'm coming in with fresh eyes, and I loved this. I thought it was just a great time. I feel like this is a required movie if you attend school in Tennessee. I have no idea how you got away from that. 
Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Dolly Parton is definitely royalty in eastern Tennessee, where, you know, I went to school in Knoxville, and with her being from Sevierville and Dollywood being such a mecca there, yes, uh, there is a lot of appreciation for Miss Dolly Parton. I didn't fully get it at the time. Dolly Parton is, when we were growing up, Dolly Parton was having a lot of, like, surgeries done, like, she was kind of becoming a cartoon caricature, she was in the tabloids a lot, and they were... And I don't mean that there was legitimate stuff about it. Like she just became this person that the tabloids like to come after and write bizarre things about. And perhaps I did not see how cool she was until later. And even when I went down there to Tennessee, people were like, no, she's awesome. She's great. And I was like, "Okay, whatever. But it, it took me a little bit longer. It wasn't until Jack White came along and really complimented her in an interview and made me go back and look at the catalog of songs and say, Beyond the big wigs and beyond all the uh, applied nature of her, she's awesome. Long answer to that, Chad, you're right. People people were pushing that uh, at me while I was at University of Tennessee, and you're right. Uh, they, were, they were right. It just took me a little while to realize it. So, But I was prepared for that coming into this, and I, I didn't really expect much from her as an actress, but the whole thing was just a delight. I mean, it was well-written, well-performed, and I'm excited to get into this one. But there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So keep after the movie back after this ad break and we will spoil this movie. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you what happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up you get the classic film jerks podcast find the classic film jerks podcast on all the major platforms all right we're back and this is your final warning there will be spoilers that lie ahead so chad for those who haven't seen nine to five since 1980 do you want to refresh people's memories We've got Judy Burnley. She's a recently divorced housewife, and she's played by Jane Fonda. She's introduced to the workforce via jo- a job as a secretary at Consolidated Companies. Her supervisor, Violet Newstead, who's played by Lily Tomlin, she's a sharp-tongued widow. They both report to their sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot of a boss, Mr. Hart, who spreads rumors about his conquest of his secretary, Dora Lee, played by Dolly Parton. The women have enough of Hart's abuse and bond over the ways they'd off the guy if given a chance. Violet in particular dreamed of poisoning Hart and accidentally dumps rat poison into his coffee, which really anyone could do since it looks so similar to a sugar box. Hart is found in his office, chair tipped over and not moving. In an I Love Lucy-esque sequence, There's a hospital scene where the girls rush to the hospital only to confuse a conversation about a recently deceased man with that of their boss. Hart, in fact, had lived and simply fell out of a chair, but the girls are unaware. They steal a body from the hospital, believing it to be Hart, only to have to return it to the hospital later upon discovering it's some random stiff. The ladies are ratted out by local snitch, Roz, when Hart returns to the office, and then their boss attempts to blackmail the women. 
It goes poorly and Dora Lee ties him up and the girls decide to kidnap him for several weeks until they can reveal damning information on Hart. They order invoices to prove that their boss has been selling inventory and pocketing the proceeds, but it will take four to six weeks for the proof to arrive. Hart has to be kept locked up during the duration. The women forge Hart's signature and try to distract the workforce while at the office, ultimately approving popular policies that Hart had denied them, like daycare and pay raises. Hart finally manages to escape and restores the stolen inventory before Violet can get the invoices. Before Hart can report the women, the chairman of the board arrives and congratulates Hart on his office's improved productivity. Hart is promoted and transferred to Brazil, where he's kidnapped and never heard from again. Violet receives a promotion to vice president, Judy falls in love and marries the Xerox rep, and Dora Lee quits to become a country western singer. Good luck to her. I think she's going to make it. I'm not sure. Now, uh, DJ, this is a dark humor kind of story, and I'm detecting that with movies like Little Shop of Horrors and Death Becomes Her, this may be one of those areas that hits you in the right sweet spot. I think you have totally hit my sweet spot very well, Russell, because as I said, like I grew up watching this movie, and one of the scenes that always stood out to me was the Snow White scene, and I love it because it's so cute and whimsical but it's so dark at the same time and that has definitely influenced me to this day in terms of just what i lean towards naturally yeah there's even when it's not a cartoon there's something cartoonish about various parts of this movie dolly parton flat out hog ties her boss yes i mean with uh, phone cord yeah yeah the nature of swapping out the, the rat poison for the coffee creamer and multiple times pointing out the box does look a lot alike. It, yeah, it does. Except for this little skull and crossbones here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I there even when it's not actually animated, there's something very cartoonish and one step beyond what's just real about it. And I love that heightened reality that they put you into. It's set in a very realistic setting. The consequences are very real, but something about the un, how the events unfold is, is animated and just funny in its own right like i do feel like it's like a cartoon interestingly enough it began its life as a drama and it mm -hmm. wasn't until lily tomlin was cast by fonda that she actually considered it it be a comedy and in the end they thought it worked better because you know if you have an audience with men they don't want to hear this women's lib stuff so let's spin it in a fun way and make it more palatable to the men while also tapping into this ginormous workforce of clerical workers who live this day and night. Yeah, Jane Fonda's perspective on that was very interesting because she keeps repeating the phrase, I don't want to be on a soapbox, I don't want to be preaching. But when I think of soapbox and preaching, I kind of think of Jane Fonda. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely not one to uh, shy away from giving her thoughts on political matters or just, uh, like you said, uh, She's not one to shy away from that thing. So that is, this is a new direction for her. <laughs> yeah, but I think DJ nailed it. You can't cast Lily Tomlin and not make it a comedy. Lily Tomlin's just too witty, too snarky. She's just got this classic style. So it it works really well. And to your point, Russell, it's more palatable to the men, which, you know, uh, 1980s work workplace comedy We've seen a lot of 80s office settings, and usually the male bosses are 
reacting to their female coworkers in less than positive ways. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting. We've undergone more and more and more of this type of behavior. Not accepted, but it is one of those mindful, like reminding kind of things. Just like, oh, this really isn't that far. This is the 80s. That's not that long ago. And it is not too hard to put yourself in their shoes and sit there and go like, no, that does suck. And it's funny that you said like the men wouldn't get behind it because I just don't see how like once you make a movie about people, you start to actually sympathize with people who are the stories about. So I I would think that a drama would work. I mean, we covered Working Girl and that was Mm -hmm. a drama and it just turned into this good underdog story like where there's a system. It's set against you and you overcome it. But to your point, Chad, this is so accessible that. It's hard to find any arguments with it unless you are a racist, egotistical, sexist bigot. Right. Yeah, I I think watching poor sweet Dolly Parton get preyed upon, you just have this natural instinct to defend her. Like she's just such a pure treasure. Like I have to protect this naive, tolerant Dora Lee who's just she's dealing with her boss literally chasing her around and pouncing on her at points and she's she's still so sweet to him yeah coming on strong is an understatement yeah yeah he's peppy le pew strong (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, now it's interesting that you said that the choice was to go with a comedy there it's uh it's interesting dolly parton is transitioning here herself and this is new ground for jane fonda this is new ground for dolly parton this is her first time and the acting chair which she goes on to do and she's actually quite good at it but for a first time this is this is a large role that was handed to her this wasn't just a very normally you would think that that would get you kind of a supporting role like hey hey look who's in the movie we'll sell a few extra tickets and their sixth or seventh build but she has to carry her own with jane fonda who's a big big name at the time and lily Mm -hmm. tomlin who i think is grossly underappreciated she's just so funny and she was just one of the funniest people in the world at the time and you're not outmatched and it's just amazing that she did such a good job to hold her own and an unlikely trio but a really satisfying trio but the stories with dolly in her first time i love these because it just speaks to her naivete of her going in and thinking it's like a play and she had to memorize every person's line and she did and and then she causes tomlin and fauna to just laugh out loud laughing because she's like wait, this doesn't happen until act three. Why are we shooting this now? Why are we doing this now? Don't you shoot movies in order? And they're all just like, oh, this is adorable. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Dolly Parton. I mean, (laughs) that's what she does, adorable. So, I mean, overachieves and and is adorable at the same time. So There's some other interesting historical uh, context here about kind of before the film. There was a woman by the name of Karen Nussbaum who began an organization called Nine to Five, the National Association of Working Women in 1973. Mm-hmm. And the context was is that basically you had a lot of women entering the workforce because of the Vietnam War. We saw about in the 70s, about 12 million women went into the workforce, whereas previously there had been women there, but not as much. And they began kind of sharing these stories about their terrible bosses and about these uh, the casual chauvinism at play in the workplace. And that kind of was the the culminating event for this kind of this film and this kind of outlet slash uh, uh, a group of people 
who wanted to see more of this stuff and wanted to see them represented on the screen. Yeah, that's a very interesting historical context to think about that. I'm glad you brought up the Vietnam War as, as, a, as a part of what caused that surge into the workforce, but in, then as it's wrapping up, everybody might have thought like in World War II, things just went back. This time it didn't go back, and I probably for the better, probably. And, uh, you know, and it's one of those things where, unfortunately, it led to this conflict that you're seeing here. And it, it, if you talk to even women from this generation for very long, I feel like they all have a story or two where you sit there and you go like, I'm sorry that happened. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like as soon as you actually get to know anybody who is still female in the workforce, they do have these stories. They're not quite as forward as like, I'm going to jump on you physically right. <laughs> um and salivating like i mean i think i think that behavior is frowned upon but it's still there it's just guys more we gotta use stronger language that behavior is frowned upon ladies and gentlemen not we think you cannot do not pounce on your female or male secretary yeah this is a, this is a retro movie roundtable psa but yeah jane fonda research like she did her homework here and she was interviewing women who acted as secretaries that term has fallen out of favor now it's administrative assistant uh but just for clarification they're secretaries in this movie so she was interviewing them and a lot of the things that make it into this film you know they're played up for comedy reasons but they're stories from these women uh, i'm i certainly don't have some of the aspects but i have threatened I've been threatened to be fired for sharing my salary before. I was very young. I had started my first job, and just a friend of mine asked how much I made, and I was in the store. I said, I make $6 an hour, which was great back in 19 dickety two. But uh, yeah, and the manager said, I could fire you for that. So it's it, some of these stories. And she was also talking to divorced women who'd had to reenter the workforce because divorce rates had gone up in the 70s so not only from the war but also these divorced or single women are now entering the workforce where it hadn't traditionally been at high rates so she's going through that as well to get the other side of how judy felt how lonely or just you go from you're a homemaker into a brand new world so what's that like violet's a single mom as well like she's mm -hmm. she's, she's a she's, widower yep she's fixing a garage she's got to do it all she seems like she seems like she's got it all together but we also see moments of just like it is really hard you know it's like a duck on water like those feet are kicking really really hard and you know she's thriving at work she's really good at what she does but it's only through working very very hard yeah yeah and you do find out that these administrative assistants it, it's kind of a theme. They really know everything that's going on in the office. They pick things up and they learn. And that's been my experience in the workforce as well. They they start really knowing how to do other people's jobs just almost through osmosis, just being in and out of it every single day. And they start learning the accounts, learning the names and how to work the systems. So when they're talking about Lily Tomlin's character, Violet, and she knows more than anyone else in the company, they're they're probably right. Some people felt like the second half of this movie, some critics said that the first part was so smart and sophisticated while we're talking about it like it was cool and dark and edgy and had all these topical issues about harassment in the workplace. 
unequal pay. But then they said that it finished off feeling farcical like a sitcom and that, that cheapened it. The original script was going to be darker and we were actually going to try and murder the boss. And then that failed and turned into a kidnapping plot. I think this accidental confusion of thinking they ended up doing the murder is way funnier, personally. Like, Agreed. Like, watching Lily Tomlin think, oh no, I killed him, that, that devolves into, I mean, you get 15 solid minutes of humor out of them thinking that's the scenario. You as the audience knows, but you watch the actors and they don't know. And I think that's always really funny when you can give that audience some information that the characters don't have but then the characters do things in ways that are very, very funny that debatably make the situation much, much worse for themselves and funny. But you as the viewer know, and it's just, that's really cool writing in my opinion. So I don't agree with that. I don't know, DJ, did you feel like it was uneven at all? No, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's perfect the way it is, quite honestly. I I really appreciate the the comedy aspect of it that brings light to you know the darkness of the some really you know heavy issues right we're talking about sexism we're talking about chauvinism we're talking about racism we're talking about patriarchy like a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down you know yes yeah blazing saddles certainly you're right i think that just the comedy was the right package for this message at that time and clearly the box office took this and it was a massive success. I, 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 I'm just interested how it resonated so strongly with people at the time. I, I have a hard time seeing comedy. I've said this a couple of times this year, but it, it's interesting when you go back and, and you sit there and go, wow, this was a thought-provoking comedy that, that put its finger on the pulse of what was going on at the time, but people showed up and they paid for it. And it, it made it 10 times what it cost to make this movie. I don't see comedies having that kind of power and draw anymore. Well, that $103 million figure you mentioned earlier, that's really important because this is the first ever female-driven vehicle to gross over $100 million. And it's interesting to me that Jane Fonda is involved because mentioning the Vietnam War, there's a lot of people that had backlash to Jane Fonda. She's called Hanoi Jane and for all of her anti-war efforts. So that makes it even more striking to me that it resonated this well and it was that popular because Jane Fonda was still polarizing from this point. There's two points I want to pick up on what you're, what you're putting down right now, Chad. So first, this was also one of the first movies ever set in the corporate world looking at clerical workers. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it was an untapped group of audience people, so never before seen. Um, as well as the Vietnam connection. So Jane Fonda knew Karen Nussbaum, the lady I mentioned earlier, and they were friends and they used to uh, get together for anti-war protests and kind of planning things like that. And it was through just some kind of casual conversation that Karen was telling Jane about her experience working in these kinds of places. And Jane was like, I want to help you do something. And the only way I'm to do that is to make a movie. So let's do it. That's cool. That is cool. Clearly the message got out and I think it was appreciated, but it, it has aged very well. And that's the other thing. of uh, It's a message that still stands to be heard of treat people well <laughs> and to treat them with dignity and like a human. And we still struggle with that. It's also funny how it can be so insightful, but also be that funny. Yeah. 
I feel like we're still seeing the influence here. I think of horrible bosses from modern modern times and office space. I clearly think there was influence there as as well. So the double burst Prada. Yes, absolutely. I mentioned it earlier, but Working Girl, an Oscar-nominated movie, Michael Mike Nichols movie, that really good movie. I don't know that you get that drama without this movie. That's eight years later after this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this biting satire. I know that Judd Apatow has said he was influenced by this movie. Seth Rogen said he was influenced by this movie. So it's it's far-reaching as far as what it managed to do, not just in its time, but you know, one of the questions that we usually ask is, does it hold up? I don't think all the animated graphics really age that well. There's some of the Snow White Disney things that are that are fine. It really is reflected in that Disney-esque animation, but the message itself and the influence, I think, is timeless. I mean, short of Jane Fonda looking like she's Dorothy from Tootsie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it has aged pretty well. It feels, it feels kind of 70s. No, it feels very 70s. It's, it's an 80s movie, but I mean, it's still... It still has its foot in the 70s, for sure. It still doesn't... The content, though, doesn't feel dated, though. And honestly, the, the sensibility and the humor must have been quite striking for the time because we grew up... We had, like, Family Guy and stuff like that. These daydream... Like, when they get together for the first time and they start sharing their stories of what they would want to do to their boss, the movie takes an abrupt, sharp turn. It has been mm-hmm. relatively serious, and there's an, there's an enormous change in tone as they go into these daydream situations and yeah they, they do change the filter on those they make they make like jane fondas have like this really cold blue wash kind of thing and they also give like dolly parton's kind of a western theme and like and obviously violet had the snow white overlap parody component to it so they're breaking the box and they're going out of their world that they're in and tapping into all these other worlds and creating these mental images and i was sitting there thinking like uh, this may have i've not heard him say this but honestly it feels like what seth MacFarlane does on family guy and has become very successful doing of just simply having characters say imagine this and then depicting it and putting a lot of effort into depicting it because there's a lot of humor in doing that and this movie did that decades before he did i love ronald reagan's response to that scene he 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 loved this movie, but he's like, why'd they have to use marijuana? Why, uh-huh. couldn't, they, why couldn't they just be drunk? So he was, you know, war on, war on drugs, Ronald Reagan, that's his thing. So he was very upset at the Mary Jane in this movie. The marijuana, as Dolly Parton would say. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie takes a couple of abrupt turns, and that was one of them. The other one is, like, once they think that they have murdered him, that takes another one of those abrupt turns and then another abrupt turn during the kidnapping. So most movies kind of have like this three act kind of structure, but this one might, is it fair to say this one kind of has more acts than kind of that three act format? I don't know. I'm thinking now I, I could see it as two acts possibly side A and a side B. What do you think, Chad? Uh, I'm going with three as far as the introduction to the workforce, the planning to kill the boss, and then the attempts to remediate everything that they just did. But so it turns into a, a kidnapping at that point, though. 
It does. It turns into and 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 then they have to run the office for like like I said like I don't know. It's just five acts. Yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like there's. I feel like there's more pages turned in this, and it's not that long of a movie either. It doesn't overstay its well. It has you're a good like, pace. Yeah. You're like the inspector in Knives Out. There's inside of the donut hole is another donut hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mentioned it in the plot summary, but it just reminds me of growing up watching I Love Lucy episodes where she inevitably made things worse while she was trying to make it better. And and so I'm just enjoying, like, what are you going to screw up next? What are you? But it was nice to see them improving the office and a lot of things that some of some companies are implementing now as far as daycares and personal items i've worked in an office that would not let you have personal items on your desk they felt they distracted you i left that place but yeah we're still seeing these kind of ignorant policies in workplaces today and other workplaces trying to make a better cube life i guess for you no, that's a good point. DJ just mentioned during the Great Resignation, like we are at the precipice of asking people. We sent people home for two years, and they they were responsible adults. They got their work done. Many companies had increased productivity, and we are going to have to take a long look in the mirror and say, do we just go back to the way things were? Like, is there are there parts of this that we want to take with us? Obviously, we mm-hmm. were forced into that, but is there a lesson to be learned here about what we want to do and you're right. This movie calls into strong question about if you treat your employees not as if they're the scum of the earth and they're all looking to just slack off, but if you actually treat them with dignity and give them autonomy and treat them well and let them do their jobs, and wouldn't you believe it? Professional adults actually deliver good results. And this movie kind of makes a statement on that. So it's interesting. We may still have more to learn from this movie yet. I'm I'm glad you said that because I'm going to pick that up right there, Russell, because we're at a slight disadvantage tonight because they actually just came out with a documentary still working nine to five 40 years later with the cast they brought back together and talking about the modern workplace and issues. I think it was it's in the South by Southwest film uh, competition. So it's not out yet. We'll have to watch that and maybe revisit this again once it's out. <laughs> That's cool, though. I will, I'll keep my eyes peeled for that. That, that is interesting. I think it's a, it's, it's a timely question that the entire workforce is going to be asking themselves. What do you think about what made this trio this unlikely true, as I mentioned earlier, work? You have Lily Tomlin, who's very sarcastic, very, you know, I would say edgy, kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't play by the rules. And then again, this is not Jane Fonda's thing. Like, you don't think... We need someone. We're going for yucks here. Let's get Jane Fonda. <laughs> and then conversely, Dolly Parton, it's easy to visualize this as a success now, but at the time, she's a country musician. You know, she had been kind of doing some crossover into the pop world as well at this point. But to cross over into movies, they initially kind of just did this like a, she'll bring us the South, which sounds so cheap. And because what she delivers is far greater than just delivering people from the Southeastern United States into the movie theater. Mm-hmm. What what is it that why does that trio work so well? I think when you get caricatures like we we can relate to Judy when we get this backstory. We don't have as much backstory with the others, but 
we see Judy and we feel for her because she's just she's the fish out of water. She's thrown into a brand new world. So we're really supposed to experience this through her and sympathize with her. She's excited for this new world and she's slowly turned on to the fact, oh, this this is not great. This is this is doggy dog. I'm watching people be fired, being treated unfairly. They won't discuss my pay. And just that dream and hopes just being drained out of her. So I, I think Jane Fonda was kind of the good straight man here and straight woman. I, I, I'm going to use that term interchangeably, but L- Lily Tomlin is, you see this character pop up in so many tropes of just this wise, cracking, sarcastic, almost downtrodden, especially in office comedies. There's this person that's just been there for long enough that they they know enough to really hate everything and game the system. So she's she's great in that supervisor role. And then you have Dolly Parton. I think you need that sweet but can defend herself, hold their own character. So uh, having that combination of personalities, they're all so different, but you can you can sympathize and laugh along with Lily Tomlin or you can Dolly Parton's her one-liners are just great if you grow up south or west something like that all of the things she can say uh, I've outrun swifter men than you and none of them have caught me yet things like that or shooting them and making turning them from a rooster to a hen in one shot you get that countryism that's just great yeah that's a good point there's a fiery nature in her that the other two don't necessarily have and yeah so it's interesting so you have the, the straight man you have straight lady and you have the sarcasm and then i guess you have the one who's actually you know i carry a gun in my purse <laughs> yeah but she only shot it once by accident i was gonna say for me i think one thing that i identify with most is just the three kind of oddball people that you wouldn't expect to be friends who become friends because of this really oppressive workplace. And I think back to like my, my career and all the people I've met and my, my friends now that I still keep in contact with, you know, you know, our currency for kind of social exchange was that we were dealing with on a daily basis at the office. And that's Mm -hmm. what, you know, kind of bonded us together. And so I think seeing other people go through that on the screen, you know, you have that kind of, um, that empathy towards that situation that just it just makes you love them even more that's a very good point situation is galvanizing unexpected people together which is realistic in that regard there are so many interesting things it's amazing how overwhelming the dolly parton component is is when you look up stories from this uh maybe it's just because she's a great interview and it's just so many things that came out because of this because of her on this, as Chad mentioned, the, the first time stories are very interesting. I thought it was interesting that the husband character that she has to play on screen was a friend of mm-hmm. of hers, and it was hard enough to kiss somebody on screen, much less somebody else's husband who's your friend. And they had to shoot a film on top of that with all the cameras and crew, and all the people looking on. And that that was new ground for Dolly Parton. Again, these are things that actors and actresses just kind of do, and they don't think anything of it. But this is this is new ground for her. But it was through Jane Fonda and through Lily Tomlin and the people around her, they got behind her. 
Someone said that Dolly has a very good, quick wit and self self deprecating humor, and people want to help her and get behind her. And you mentioned it earlier, like protect her through this and to really go to bat for her. She had a great experience, but it was largely because of that humor that she actually has in real life. And that that enters into the character because she was even saying, like, I had to pick a role that there was enough of me within because I'm not some great actress or whatever. Again, she's a very self-deprecating person that you sit there and go like, no, you are a great actress, Dolly Parton. I believe in you. You should have this role. And you like you do see that charm that she has kind of like it's like, oh, you're doing it now. I see it. (laughs) Her quick response of it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. I always that, is, that comes to mind. She's she's great. She's very quick witted. That was another interesting thing. She has a very reclusive husband, and he mm-hmm. he sometimes gets misphotographed. Like people would be photographed standing next to him, and like it's Dolly Parton with her reclusive husband. Is like that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so he never appears in public, but he did come into the studio with her because this is a big moment for her. And Jane Fonda saw him coming in and said, she said, whoa, look at that handsome man. I call him. He's mine. And Lily Tomlin also kind of felt that 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 was a handsome looking dude. And then after a few minutes of going on, Dolly Parton mentioned that that, that's her husband. The other actresses were were really embarrassed. So that's another one of those funny Dolly Parton stories from this. I kind of question Lily Tomlin's taste in men, though, because she picked Dabney Coleman for Mr. Hard after seeing him in Fernwood tonight and she said there's something sexy about him. So I I don't know. I'm not picking up on that different strokes for different folks, but Dabney Coleman I I don't know. He's so good at playing this character though. So yes. I can't speak to whether he's can turn on the charm off-screen in other roles or whatever, but certainly in this role he's a very good bad boss. He is cartoonish, yes. They looked at Gregory Peck and Charlton Heston as the role of Tensworthy, the guy who comes in at the end. Those would have been really fun picks as well. But it's it's interesting that Sterling Hayden, we covered him on Asphalt Jungle as a young man. So, mm-hmm. Fun callback to an earlier episode that we had done. He's definitely channeling the Colonel Sanders in this movie. Yes. That was exactly what I wrote. Colonel Sanders has arrived. <laughs> Except he forgot to memorize any of his lines. He could have gone to the Dolly Parton school. You see him looking around and his eyes are darting back and forth trying to find his cue cards because he couldn't remember any of his lines. All like 12 of them. Debbie Coleman makes an impression here. He gets a lot of roles after this of just playing a jerk, which, you know, that serves you well. He's, He's so good at it. Yeah. Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton, had they been unavailable, and they were early choices, as I mentioned, they looked at Jane Fonda's backup castings to to be with her was Carol Burnett and Anne Margaret. And Anne Margaret obviously would be Dora Lee, and Carol Burnett would have been Violet. Carol Burnett's funny, but once I've seen Lily Tomlin this, I sit there and go like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to make that change at all. And Anne Margaret, I love, but again, you know you've done the casting job right when even good alternative castings you sit there and you strongly shake your head and go like no i don't know that i'm familiar with ann margaret what has she been in oh lots of things i mean uh, she's in she's the woman in grumpy old men for, for at the at the other end of her career she's in bible birdie she's she's in like elvis movies she's okay she's in tommy like the who's the uh, so she can sing that's a big time person from probably a little bit before this era so she would have been I'm assuming she's a little bit older than Dolly Parton, but certainly capable of playing the role. 
Okay. But I mean, right. these are good ideas. Like I said, when you cast is so good, the other good ideas just make you shake your head and go, no. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. The incredible shrinking woman, which Tomlin was in and tied up her filming, let her go and do this movie. Like they delayed filming. It's worth it. They, you know, like I said, they're, Lily, Lily Tomlin, I think, is underrated, and it's cool to cover a movie of hers and come back. I, I actually really appreciate some of the things that she would do on Saturday Night Live. My parents would frequently refer to, she had work on a TV show called Laugh-In, and she just was so, so funny. Writing and making this, again, this was a very Jane Fonda type of vehicle. She goes and gets Colin Higgins to come to the board to direct and rewrite the script and part of his job was to make room for all three in the script and it was very very Jane Fonda driven before so it's interesting once they get Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin on board they have to kind of rebalance the scales and I'm really glad they did because no knock to Jane Fonda she clearly is the reason this movie exists but if there is a weakest of the three links I think it's her because she we mentioned it she's the straight man Mm-hmm. DJ, how did you think this the direction of this movie was in your mind, like going into these daydream visual representations? Just the visual style of the movie. Like I said, I enjoyed it. I think it's it's a nice kind of break from reality and kind of softens it a bit. I'm more so interested in the kind of the other politics behind it. So we mentioned Colin Higgins. There's also Patricia Resnick, who also worked on the screenplay. She was a rising star in the community. And I think Fonda had sought her out and brought her on board because she was interested in it. And this was after Fonda had conducted all these interviews with working women and kind of talked to them about this stuff. In one such encounter with working women, she was in Cleveland, Fonda was, and asked, has anyone ever dreamed of killing your boss? And the room lit up. And those are the stories that became obviously the basis of the film. Patricia Resnick came on board. She had never had a clerical job. So 20th Century Fox placed her in one of their offices to better understand the office dynamics. And Patricia spent time in the office and just took workers to lunch um, and just got to, got to know them. And there was one woman in particular who was rumored to be sleeping with her boss, and this inspired Dolly Parton's character. Another interesting note here, sexual harassment was not a commonly used term at the time. We know it very well now, but you know these events that happened to these women we're not, we didn't have a word or a phrase for it then. And now we clearly recognize it as such these days. The other interesting thing too is Colin Higgins pushed Resnick out. So Resnick got nine to five basically off of her movie. There's so much truth that's written into this that you're touching on DJ and that's what gives it the authenticity that it needs, but also written really well to turn all of that into humor out of pain comes humor and it's just it's everything's funny when it doesn't happen to you but on the other hand if you can relate to that pain and then you're and you're brought in on the joke there's something powerful there and that i believe is why on the afi top 100 um what you're talking about there it's still resonating with so many people and i'm glad you mentioned that it just activated another part of the workforce and turned the attention to people who were underappreciated and made them hero i mean jane fonda at one point said you can run a business without a boss but you can't run it without a secretary (laughs) that was an insightful comment this strongly reflects that like you mentioned chad 
you become so ingrained into what's going on. You see the different layers, but they don't always tell their boss what's going through their minds. There's an intimidation factor. They're not showing your old card factor. But when you're in the trenches and you're the link between the top and the and where the rubber meets the road, you do see all this stuff. And this movie made strong appreciation of those people. It's interesting to see the the visual representation that the director takes of this movie. My first thought was like, dude, this is a bland office. It is all tan beige and like brown it, it, it's uh it's drab but that was an intentional thing that they did it wasn't just a typical 70s cube cube farm uh they made a point out of that later by showing how vibrant the office looked and they did bring in mm, 70s colors and but there did seem to be a more lively nature of it you see people who are handicapped coming in you see accommodations being made you see a more diverse work staff being made it's a lively room people are talking to each other you know the alcoholic woman who's a very funny like i think i think i think the tv show the office (laughs) has the character um nine to five her name is margaret and Mm -hmm. i love margaret the drunk lush add a girl add a girl the meredith yes meredith Meredith. yes i think i think the character meredith from the office is directly channeled from this character margaret Shout out to Maria Delgado, one of the few people of color in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've also got the male guy who's just kind of raging immediately. I wanted more of him. Ray Vitt. He plays Eddie. He's just like, I'm going to be CEO. But he can't get out of the mail room. They keep hiring Man, people. lady, you're going to hate this place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bad sign in your first week. If you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've I've had that at at other jobs. Of, uh, oh, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna train you. Well, why are you leaving? You'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Colin Higgins said that Jane Fonda was actually great to work with, and that she was an encouraging producer who allowed him to push back on the writing and the production while the script was being rewritten, and uh, he did work with patricia resnick and i did not know about her getting pushed out as much that's a little bit unfortunate as you were mentioning dj but the other cast members seem to say nice things about him dolly parton said he was a very nice low-key quiet guy not one of those nightmare directors and she says i don't know what i would have done if i had had one of those mean directors on her first film like william friedkin or stanley kubrick who have terrorized their cast members in some of the previous episodes that we've covered you know, movies like on The Exorcist or The Shining. But here, there was a camaraderie amongst the people there. It's not to say that there weren't tensions from time to time, because when you work with three stars and they're coming at things from different perspectives, there's going to be conflicts that arise and everybody was invested in what they're doing. But they were totally professional and they were great fun to work with, uh, Colin Higgins said. And uh, he just wished everything would be as easy as it was here at 9 to 5. And Dolly Parton as well had a good time good experience here for her first time and it's unfortunate as her second recording comes in a movie with burt reynolds there it you know it just doesn't go as well for her there so that's uh best little whorehouse in texas sorry for the language that's the title of the movie but it's funny the two worlds that she's in here this this takes her off of a very happy introduction to the film career and it's not too much longer after this that dolly parton has a tough time with another production a tough time in life but she lands on her feet as she always does she's resilient she gets back 
she delivers good acting performances after this, but it seems like there's a lot of good vibes about working together here uh, throughout this process. This movie is, appears to be set in Los Angeles uh, during the open credits and titles of songs, but it's uh, mostly composed of shots from downtown San Francisco. I thought that was an interesting moment. They, they do show little moments of like San Francisco things on the buses and stuff around town. It's perhaps cleverly unanchored. I, I felt like they didn't, they didn't anchor themselves to a region very well. I don't know if that was an intentional purpose to say that this is a problem everywhere, but I was kind of sitting there thinking like, does this movie want to be in New York where things are a little maybe more rigid and more structured than like LA, which even has an office culture, West Coast office culture being a little more casual perhaps. And so to go, to go right to the core of it, to take the essence of where it was and to, to, go, to, to, to go to New York, um, maybe it's just my bias for New York over, over Los Angeles, but, uh, do you guys want this movie set more, more strongly and make the location more of a character? Or is that an intentional decision to mm, just say, this is a problem with big cities everywhere. So honestly, I'm 34 years old. And let's say I saw this when I was five or six, I always thought it was New York city until I did my deep dive recently into this. Oh, man, you guys are like the characters from Coming to America with Simi. So many choices, New York or Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, I always assumed this was Midwestern, some, somewhere in the Midwest setting, just because of Dolly Parton's presence. Now, I know people are transient, they can move, but that strong of an accent and personality and nobody really acknowledging it? kind of indicated okay she's she's in an area where this might be more prevalent it's not that unusual you're right it could have been houston or just but i mean her husband i guess had come out to los angeles to make it in the music oh see san francisco see i ruined it yeah i was gonna say he's yes. in los angeles to be to make it in the music business i'm thinking like nope that still doesn't work so you're right uh people do move they just they move <laughs> <laughs> there are more than two cities in america we can set them Chad wants this in Chicago or, or, or Texas or somewhere else. But yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I just found myself sitting there going like, go all the way. Go, go for Manhattan and go for the stodgy, corp most corporate, most exaggerated, you know, uh, stiff cube farm that you can possibly imagine. So That's fair. What do you feel like the things that are that do date this movie? Because we keep talking about how timeless it is. DJ, are there things that make you sit there and go like, this is definitely a product of its time? I mean, Dolly Parton's cone boobies, for one. <laughs> um, the cars, uh, the interior design, the fashion. Yeah, we could date this pretty easily. It's, it's, it's dateable. We can clock yeah. it. Yeah, Russell already took his shot at 70s office furniture. You don't apparently like the orange scheme. So, you know, that, that can date the movies. The learning to work the copier uh, that's, oh, that's that's still funny but copiers are not as ginormous as that anymore so it's still complex and it's still one of the workplace memories that's just burned into my brain of training people to use the copier peter samir and michael bolton are taking that printer out to the field and hitting it with a baseball bat and jane fond is ready to join them I, i'm sure <laughs> paper jam there's no paper jam. PC load letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess printers do continue to frustrate us to this day. 
The other things that I thought were interesting were just glimpses of the hospital world. I thought it was funny when you're like, whoa, you're a lady doctor? So that was another one of those jokes that at the time probably would have hit harder than today. We're obviously, there are far more female doctors today. Yeah. And that cop was super lax about everything. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, you're both sick and there's nothing suspicious about this at all. And I'm getting yelled at by this doctor. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then she practically runs over his foot on the way out. <laughs> what did you think about the exuberant palatial palace that Dabney Coleman's terrible boss character has? I loved it. it. I I thought it was you want the jerk to kind of have this opulence and this ridiculous house just to make his downfall even better, at least to me. Just to show he's he's a scumbag. He's profiting. He's taking stuff off the side from his business. So I I like the home. I I like the gigantic bedroom. Everything in it. I think you made a good point that he is skimming money off the side or whatever. Because I mean, my my <laughs> first thought was like he doesn't run the company. He's a person that's like like he's like a high up manager. Like he's not even on the top floor. Like this is a this is a lot. This is overdoing it. And as you pointed out, there's a reason for that. How does Al Bundy have a three-story home when he sells shoes? Yes, yeah, it could be like that. <laughs> yes, or the or the friend's apartment. I was gonna say that. Yeah. Too. So that the mansion is a Bel Air home, and I think it belonged to the Candler family, uh, publishers of the Los Angeles Times. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they were rented it out. Yeah, the indignant position that he ends up being in, juxtaposed with his opulent palace is pretty funny so the fact that he's stuck in these ridiculous gym shorts and has like these s&m like wrist straps that have chains on them that they <laughs> the push of a garage door button which is so fitting that we saw jane we saw violet working on a garage door because she puts that knowledge to good use <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, then, and then he ends up just swinging up and down like a pinata up there which is so good funny that I was actually like worried for Dolly Parton again. That she, maybe it's just because she's such a sweetheart. Like he's coming behind her, like in the mirror, like and before she hits the button. And I was sitting there going, like, "Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! This isn't that kind of movie." <laughs> and then they quickly ride to the ship. S and M or M and M's? Yes. <laughs> that was also a very rewarding scene, to be honest with you. Having her ex husband overlap with her and kind of rubbing it in her face initially by like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go off with this other lady," and then. She leaves him high and dry, and he comes crawling back with his tail tucked between his legs. And and <laughs> I like that uh, he's he's seemingly way out of his league. And like I had no idea. And what position? What occupation was the person that he ran away with? I don't remember. I think it was his secretary, wasn't that, it? That's correct. That is correct. Oh, that's interesting. So and his name is Dick. Yes. Yes, it is. And I think that's deliberate. That was Oh, it. totally. Yeah. 100%. We did talk about how the animation goes into this, DJ. I detect that this is one of your favorite aspects of this. It's, it's interesting that this is like pulling in all those Disney components because it's a pretty direct translation of like Snow White and Bambi and Robin Hood and having these talking creatures drawn into there. Uh, they towed the line as close as you can without getting in trouble from Disney. And interestingly enough, I think 
Disney owns the rights to the film now. So it, they do. Yeah. it all came back to Disney in the end. <laughs> Everything does. So the Disney overlords just said they're going like, they made fun of us. Buy them. <laughs> Don't let Walt hear about this. Put it in the vault. <laughs> we would be remiss if we didn't mention that this is obviously awarded for its music as well. And Dolly Parton's opening theme in a nine to five, it's actually a pretty good song. Yeah, certified platinum. So yeah, Dolly accepted the role with the condition that she would write the song, right, and sing the theme song. Mm-hmm. And then that that trend continued for most of her movies during this period, with the exception of Steel Magnolias. Yep. Yeah. I I wish they'd used her song in Steel Magnolias. Good movie, sad movie. But... I know. The other fun thing, too, is the clicking you hear in the song is her acrylic fingernails. Yeah, she she had a big thing of you need, she calls them falsies, I think. Falsies, yep. Yeah, you need falsies to make that sound. You can't use real fingernails to do it. So, yeah, it sounds like a typewriter. I thought the, the rest of the score, it was fitting. I've mentioned some sitcoms, but Charles Fox, he does the scores for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. So we've we've got sitcom influence and in how we're moving the action along. I'd be curious to see this, but in 2009 they released a musical version on Broadway. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if the rest of the music can hold water with the theme here, but this does seem like content that is ripe and would do really good for Broadway. And I'm I'm if I get a chance to see that, I would definitely like to see this in Broadway. I believe. Alice and Janney was the character of Violet. And I don't know that they're still performing the musical. It may not be uh, circulating currently. Well, I hope I can see an off-Broadway revival somehow. Some, somehow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Even if it's one of those local productions, I'm curious because it feels like it has potential for that. In an era where the theater steals from theater and theater steals from the theater constantly. The two, the two are... I don't know, it's like DC and Marvel. As soon as somebody does something good, it's like, we need to do that. What, what you, you can, can be, be funny, funny now? now? Call, call, call Zack, Zack Snyder. Snyder. Have, have him redo, redo an entire, entire movie. <laughs> All right. I was going to say one more note about the song. Uh, interestingly enough, Sheena Easton's song, Nine to Five, came out the exact same year over in the UK. And when it finally made it to the US the year afterwards, they changed the name to The Morning Train to avoid confusion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate timing on her part. Yeah. Yeah. I did not mention this in, when we were talking about this. I criticized earlier Jane Fonda's look, but in all that homework that she did, that also came through with, with what she was wearing. That really conservative, big hair, big glasses, overdoing it to the max of kind of not even sure what I'm entering into the workforce. As you mentioned, she interviewed a lot of women who had to go back to work and that uncomfortable, like, I don't know what how to dress or how to do this. Actually kind right. of reads through at the wardrobe level because my first thought was just like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> like, <laughs> this makes you look 30 years older. Like, makes, there's something unprofessional about it. I just like, it looks like you'll never be able to use a computer. <laughs> like, it looks like you're going to have a hard time with the copy machine. Uh, but it, there's interesting that there's some truth within that in, in its own self. Uh, and also, Dolly Parton still gets to kind of overdo it a little bit. I thought she had a pretty good comment herself 
she says, people ask me all the time, uh, who does your hair or how long does it take to get your hair that way? And she goes, I don't know. I wasn't there when they did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you like Dolly Parton's wardrobe, you can go down to Dollywood right now and it's in the museum. She bought out her entire wardrobe. I'm confused by how often actresses just get some of their wardrobe and then other times you have to buy it. That's a strange comment to me. Who else is using that? Meanwhile, Lily Tomlin just stole the rat poison box. Yes. <laughs> well, also, in addition to uh, buying her wardrobe, she reused it a few times in films. Uh, in particular, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, she wears the dress in which she, um, in the imaginary death scene where she hogties Frank up, and she it's it's in the song uh, A Little Old Bitty Pissant Country Place yep. in that oh. movie. Also by Colin Higgins. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. They do they do prop Dolly up a lot and shoot her in angles and stuff. To, there's an eight-inch difference between Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda, and Dolly Parton's short. So, um, yeah, she's some of that big hair that she always has to wear, I think, is designed to give her not just volume of her hair at the time, but just height. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. They don't get any of the three of them don't come together until late later in the movie like they don't go to the bar until much yeah there's resistance to dolly's character until you find out that the boss has been making it up you've got to go through that horrible line of oh how did this rumor get started well mr hart told us (laughs) yeah yeah she's not dressing that provocatively i I did i i was kind of sitting there wondering it was like oh i don't know how that happened that the whole office came to feel that way but we didn't mention though how square Roz is as a character. This character is infuriating. The little tattletale mm-hmm. and an mm-hmm. adult tattletale. And somehow they design her character to be just so dislikable. And sending her off to France uh, on a lark to learn French needlessly is is not adequate. I wanted something worse for her character. Oh man, well, we've I've been in offices where that character exists, or an office that promotes that kind of culture of. It's almost like Russian propaganda. Tell on your neighbor so you are supporting the company culture. If they've uttered something out of line, and I had to be very, very careful. Little tiny things I'd say in frustration would get back to my boss and I'd have a meeting about my attitude. It's like, can I not be frustrated? So it, it really was a check the stalls kind of environment. And Roz, to your point, she is infuriating. I'm with you. Send her to Botswana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, my first thought was like, I'm taking you to Brazil with me. My first thought was like, that's not bad enough for the boss either. Like, I feel like I feel like Ross needs to come with the boss, like you said, to like, I'm going up to like Greenland, like at the very top, like near the Arctic Circle. <laughs> yes. I'm going on a mission to Antarctica and I want you to come with me. <laughs> the thing too <laughs> all right do you guys want to hand out some superlatives love to let's do it okay mvp dj i'm gonna have to go with dolly parton on this one mm. she's only a gay icon <laughs> is that because of the how done up she is no it's totally like hyper feminization but it's also like her self-deprecating humor and how she kind of openly acknowledges how done up she is and that kind of persona and also like yeah just her funny wit 
there she because i knew she was like i knew i knew like drag queens like to sing dolly parton as a thing but i wasn't sure why yeah okay so it's just the amount it's the it's like you said it's the amount of makeup and self-deprecating lends itself to the drag world yeah, yeah. she's she's lost dolly parton look-alike contests before <laughs> that's funny that's, i remember when we did a charlie chaplin movie in the circus he, he came in third place in a charlie chaplin look-alike contest as well yeah. third <laughs> all right so, chad what about you who's your mvp i went with lily tomlin we mentioned this movie changed directions because of hiring her and her wits just front and center she claims she only ad-libbed one line absolutely no one believes her these are just if you're familiar with her work the style and the jokes are very lily tomlin-esque and they just bring this bite and a smile at the same time yeah and it's odd that i'm not picking jane fonda i feel like i should because she this movie doesn't exist with her and she put a lot of hard work into it but mm-hmm. having said all of that dolly parton's just too impressive as a first timer she holds her own and there's just this infectious energy and even when scenes aren't funny she puts a smile on her face i think the tone of this movie being as bright as it is largely comes from dolly parton i'm a, I, I fully understand that fonda led to the structure of how it was made and i do think you're right chad i think Lily's brings the voice of like how the snarky satirical kind of humor of all of this comes together so well so really i guess you could pick any of the three of them but somehow i think dolly parts would probably will keep me coming back to it like there's just it, it set the tone she's certainly the enduring draw like you're not going to go back you're unlikely to go back and say oh jane fonda or even now lily tomlin it's oh dolly parton she's just transcended into this icon yeah yeah now best supporting actor of which there are many good to choose from in this dj i'm gonna go with jane fonda and lily tomlin as a as a unit that makes sense yeah, yeah. and chad what about you what do you think the best supporting is? i'm gonna complete the trio i couldn't leave out dolly parton you're for all the reasons you've mentioned she's just so charming and it's absolutely stunning this was her first role and she did so well well i'm gonna be just different for the sake of being different than in Dabney Coleman needs needs some attention here because mm-hmm. <laughs> he is so good at being a terrible boss. I mean, <laughs> he he's swimming in terrible. I mean, yes. every single one of those lines is great. And when the carpet's pulled out from under him, he's also really good at being mad and like being humiliated and really playing up the the humor of the situation of wing when you're knocked knocked off the top of the mountain. Those are those are really great moments. I also like that he doesn't really like his wife very much. That was a very funny <laughs> gag of just like, you think I'm going to go on a boat with you for four weeks? Like, spit yeah. take. <laughs> he is the 80s Colin Farrell. I think he's even funnier than Colin Farrell and, than, and Horrible Bosses. I just really, <laughs> yeah. I think that his performance here does lead heavily to Horrible Bosses, as you pointed out, uh, Chad. I think there's some Kevin Spacey from that movie that's channeling this as mm-hmm. well, too. So... Oh, yeah. Um, or sorry, Hidden Gem, DJ. I'm going to go with Peggy Pope as Margaret. Yeah. Atta girl. Atta girl. I also like the, uh, I got my life back on track due to the substance abuse program that you helped put me into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? The drunk Lodge. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a term that I don't, I feel like has fallen out of favor. It's just not around as much, calling people a lush. So... But yeah, she was my pick too. Uh, 
the Attagirl lines as each woman walked out of the office. You'd expect diminishing returns because it's the same joke. It worked. It kept working every single time. <laughs> Ray Vitt is going to be my pick here from the mailroom. He is, he's brief, but it's good. I like them. Yeah. And shout out to the doctor, too. That was the doctor talk where you're like doing this who's on first, like kind of talking past where you think that they're saying thing. That's a good scene, too. <laughs> Will he make it? Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> just just, <laughs> just... <the> casual name. <laughs> that was very that was very good too and the cop was good too like like yeah. like like in being in a position of authority but then being yelled at by like this <laughs> like who's sick both of them they're both sick yes very sick and i need to get to the hospital furthermore why are you slowing me down <laughs> just that was a great scene so there were so many good little parts in this and, and even his wife of just coming home <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I knew. I know you were the one that sent me flowers. <laughs> you would never believe the exercise program he's gotten into. <laughs> <laughs> Best shot. Nope. Recast. Yep. So recast. Um, this was difficult, and I'm going to do something very sacrilegious, but I'm going to recast Dorley Rhodes. Mm. I'm going to modernize her and ask that Nicki Minaj take the role. Mm. <laughs> you made chance ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On multiple levels. Wow, I'm having a hard time picturing that. But I like the bold attempt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. You you swung for the fences here. I did. My gay card's being revoked as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, recast. If you had to recast somebody, hard to do, who would you put in their place? I don't know how we have an eighties office comedy and don't have Joan Cusack in here. I checked. She's 18 years old in 1980, so it's a little young. Yeah, but, I was going to say, she, but, she didn't have her one in one year and done run at SNL yet. She's, she hasn't broken through the, the scene yet. It's a requirement to me to have an office comedy in Joan Cusack. It just keeps coming up. So put her in. Uh, Maria, the girl that was fired for discussing her salary, you could put Joan Cusack in her role and have that be fun. It would be good. Yeah. I'm going to say that Jane Fonda... All of your hard work in producing and writing and making this come to life is very valued, but I want you to sit down and give your role to Gilda Radner. Mm, more funny women for Russell. Yes. I think that adding Gilda into this cheapish kind of like coming into the office kind of, you know, we just kind of talked about that character that, you know, not really sure what you're walking into. And I think Gilda Radner would do such a good job of that. And she brings a little bit of sweetness to her, too, that we don't really see from Jane Fonda as well. Dolly Parton has all of the sweetness locked down for this movie. I think that would play well. And I can assure you, she's a very, 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 very funny woman. I think you add her and Lily Tomlin, I think you're going to get even more electricity from the humor department. I keep, I don't want to knock Jane Fonda. This just isn't, comedy is just not what she does. So I'm thinking if you bring in a third funny woman the role i think you're gonna get even more return i think if i'm going snl route i'd get jane Curtin because she was so good in third rock from the sun also a valid choice there so jane fonda did a great job yeah best shot if you had to pick a best shot dj i'm gonna go with the hospital scene when dora lee and judy are using the payphone and they see violet rushing out of the hospital with the body <laughs> Yes. Oh, I think she's done lost it. <laughs> Chad, best shot. 
I'm a sucker for doing things on beats and camera tricks. So the metronomes and the opening sequence that are bobbing to the song 9 to 5, I just thought that was a really enchanting shot. I enjoyed it. My best shot is going to be we see a shot of a dead corpse feet on the stretcher and the foreground and a very nervous Violet taking the body out on the gurney mm, in, a, yeah. in a tight corridor and there's something very frantic and very funny about that. The, the physical humors of just what's, what's happening to make that say like, I'm nervously pushing something that I shouldn't be pushing. Like, like I don't belong here, but I kind of like, she's wearing a doctor's coat. It's hard to convey the sense of not belonging. And that shot does a good job bringing the humor in there. So comedy doesn't always get good credit for the camera work. And this is one of those moments where the, the moment of humor is elevated through that. I will say there's a technically best cinematic shot where they're at the bar. They, it's, it's like the, the camera's just a little above the bar height and it's a curved counter and it sweeps around. It's the first time that you see all three of the stars coming together, looking very defeated. It's a dark room. There's a stodginess, again, in the world that they're within. If you were to take a shot of what this movie's about, particularly what brings these characters together, it's that. But I have a hard time not liking the, the, funny, the funny shot. So, yeah. Best scene, DJ. I've already said it like 20 times, but the Snow Wife death scene. All right. Yeah, you, you like the callbacks to the friendly animals while cooking up some poison? I do. Yeah, that was fun. The birds bringing over the poison to her. And then laughing. <laughs> I like the spoon dissolving chat. Best scene. I think for me, it was the hospital scene. We've the escalation and the constant misunderstandings and just the hijinks that it ensues. And it just all caps off in the most ridiculous manner of stealing a random person's body while pretending to be a doctor. So when you keep layering the joke and building on it, I think the payoff was just tremendous. That's a very good choice. And I nearly picked that. I, I did do the, the right turn where they go into the daydreams of what they would do to their boss if they got a chance. I thought it was so funny to turn it on its head and have Dolly Parton sexually harassing him. Like, hey, hot stuff, get your buns <laughs> over here. Like, I mean, I think that's a really funny thing. You so seldom see see that turned on its head. That was really funny. I mean, hunting down the boss, like in an African safari, I did wonder, I was like, did anybody sit there and kind of go like, ooh, shooting up your office. Is that playing differently today at all? Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it was done under the guise of humor enough, but I think it might have helped to just slide that in second so we've established what we're doing. Because it, it's, the, it's the one that comes first. So I'm not going to chastise it too much, but I just switched the order of those, those dream sequences around a little bit. And then as you mentioned, DJ, the poison and the spoon and all that stuff. The daydream sequence is really, really funny. It does feel really good to see that they had actually, all their policies worked well. So it's not necessarily my favorite scene from a comedic standpoint, but it is one of those things that makes us an insightful movie of like, oh, your company's actually been run really well by these three women. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, DJ. I really like Doralee's outfit when we first meet her. She's wearing this white dress with like blue and pink striping and a green bolero sweater. And just in the drab kind of office interior, it really pops. Nice choice. And Chad? 
I think the ridiculous contraption that they created for Mr. Hart that includes that throwback to the garage door opener scene, the hang gliding tether, the chains, whoever designed that is just pure genius. I have to go with that too. Franklin Hart's getup is hilarious. And I appreciate that even at the end when they did the what happened to him kind of thing, like the freeze frame of just kicking and screaming, like seeing a grown man kicking and screaming, being suspended from the belt. Like, I'm going to get you. And like, I mean, like, <laughs> it's so fast that he gets drawn up. Yeah, I know. And like, I like that. Bing! Like, like the sound effect <laughs> that goes with it and everything like that. It's campy of its time in all the right ways. And I, I made me very happy. It's a very elaborate setup they made, though. Yes. Change one thing. If you had to change one thing, Chad, what about you? So you guys have spent a lot of time praising the scene, and I'm going to feel like Ronald Reagan here. I'm going after the fantasy scene, not because they used marijuana instead of alcohol, but I, I understand hamming up the fantasies, but I thought the graphics aged really, really poorly, and I think there's a better way of doing it without inserting the weird country western fonts, and it just... I'm okay with the Snow White scene. That was kind of fun, but I think you just do that maybe once. I I don't know, but overall, that it drugged down the quality of the movie for me. Oh wow! I love it when he's going back and forth like he's like a like one of those like ducks at like a shooting gallery, like when like bing, like bing, <laughs> bing, like that, like shooting left, shooting that right, was like fun. And watching him switch directions. Like again, there was something very cartoonish about that, and I love when real life can feel cartoony. That's a hard thing to achieve. I, I don't. So you're, I like Roger Rabbit, but I do not like Mary Poppins when they do this. I generally don't appreciate having cartoon characters with real life characters. And especially with the type of graphics and font choices that they made, it just, it didn't work for me. I think Dolly Parton's was the worst as far as the graphics they put up. Uh, you must be no fan of Space Jam then. Uh, <laughs> I love early Space Jam. We have to clarify, LeBron's Space Jam should not exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a Razzie for that, by the way. He deserved it. So my change one thing is gonna have to be, like, I think that anger should be motivating them at the bar. I don't think they need to switch scenes. I don't think they need to be drunk or smoke pot, to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm kind of coming from the Ronald Reagan thing of, like, you don't <laughs> have to alter your mind state to actually have this anger and i feel like it should be done less out of a laugh ha 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 funny humor i think it should be go i think you should go in angry and then come out laughing and then through that venting process you would see this warm camaraderie building together so it's a it to me it they kind of they kind of change scene and i think that raw anger actually rightfully belongs in there and it should then turn into humor that anger should be right there in the bar. I like it. I like it. DJ. I'm going to throw a stupid soft one, but more songs. More songs. More Dolly more songs. More Dolly songs. Have her and her husband sing one of those uh, chart-topping songs that he has at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be good. Yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with that. It would certainly help the Broadway run. If you said the Broadway run was short-lived, then adding more Dolly songs now would certainly go a long way in padding that, too. So, Best quote. A lot of good ones here. DJ, don't you tell me what I can and can't be serious about or what is or isn't me. If I want to play SNS and Eminem and all those other bondage games or even smoke <laughs> pot, that's my business. That's, that is very funny. <laughs> Not knowing what the SNM thing is, as he's even filled in the gap of what's happened. Like she's thinks she's like she thinks she's busted. And he's he, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I can't believe it. 
you're into S and M games, and she's like, uh, yes. What is that? Yeah, I'm into everything. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> that was so good, particularly how Square Judy's character is. So great choice, Chad. What's your favorite quote? I'm a married woman, and I'm a married man. That's what makes it so perfect. <laughs> Just such a sleazeball line. I I also have a Mr. Hart comment. He comes and he's like. Judy, Judy, you gotta help me. They're, they're trying to kill me. And she's like, why would they want to do a nasty little thing like that? I don't know. I'm not such a bad guy. She goes, you're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. So I have a few faults. Who doesn't? Is that any reason to kill me? <laughs> the long list of all those, you know, condemning things, the, the weight of any one of those is actually enough. The long list is very humorous. But then the, as you mentioned, Chad, how slimy he is to just be like, yeah, okay, great. So what? <laughs> why are they trying to kill me (laughs) so funny all right dj we have come full circle i i ask you this is i think i see where this is going but on a five-star scale with half-star intervals what are you going to give this movie i'm gonna go with the five i think i saw it coming i think i saw it coming yeah and when anytime you change one thing is that hard then you know you have a five for you so uh, good choice chad I went four stars. I one of the things. uh, Yeah, four stars is great. And one of the things, and this is just going to hit personally, is the Mister Hart epilogue. It went a little too dark. I have family that works in Brazil, and kidnapping is like a real, a real concern from them. So when he gets kidnapped and is never heard from again, like yeah, that's that's not cool with me. So from a personal side, personal bias, that that hurts. And I I didn't dig the fantasy sequence as much as I wanted to, just because some of those other things interfered with my enjoyment. But I, I really love this movie. I think it's a fantastic comedy. I'd recommend it to anyone. Yeah, wow. I'm I'm four and a half. And because it's new to me, I'm sometimes a little bit reserved with going out all out five because it's very well written as we've talked about, and it's very likely that over time, this is one that I intend to return to. The rewatchability is probably there and it has upside. It has upside to turn into a five for me. So I look forward to sharing this one with other people. And uh, this is, this is automatically like my favorite thing that I've seen with Jane Fonda. And like, I have my (laughs) favorite. It's uh, it's Dolly Parton gained respect for me in my book. And I always love Lily Tomlin, but it's just, this is another star on her chart there. So, I mean, it elevated everybody's career to me, and I just really enjoyed it. Even as I'm talking about it, you know what? You know what? I've never done this on the show before. You can leave all of this in, Chad. I'm going five. I'm not editing this, so you are. Oh, then don't touch it when I release it, then. <laughs> I won't. Yes, you're right. I'm going five. I've changed my mind. Even as I sat there, I was like, wait a minute. There's no reason not to go five right now. I think I think all the makings are there for this. So. Excellent. Sorry to drag it down, but four is still a great rating for me. So I, I loved it. And thank you for picking a fun movie, DJ. Of course. Yes. Anytime. Yes, we needed, we needed some more fun stuff to do. So. Yeah. Now, Chad, do you want to help me pick one for next time? I would love You're to. You're a tech guy. You like you like computers. You're you're like you like the software world. Let's let's do a movie from that spectrum here. This this is this is for you here. 
Uh, option number one, hack hackers from 1995. Hackers are blamed for making a virus that will capsize five oil tankers. Option two, swordfish from 2001. A covert counter-terrorist unit called Black Cell led by the Gabriel Shear wants the money to help finance their war against international terrorism, but it's locked away. Gabriel brings in a convicted hacker, Stanley Jobson, to help him. Option three, the net. From 1995, a computer programmer stumbles on a conspiracy, putting her life and the lives of those around her in great danger. I'm going to go with a dated reference, but got to go to my man Weird Al. What y'all want to do? Want to be hackers, code crackers, slackers, wasting time with all the chat room yackers? Nine to five, chilling at Hewitt Packer. So yes, we're going hackers. Hackers it is. Uh, You like Matthew Lillard. This should be good for you. I love Matthew Lillard. He's a treasure. He's right up there with Dolly Parton in National Treasures. Mom and Dad are so mad at me. <laughs> also the voice of Shaggy. Zoinks. Yes. All right, DJ, thanks so much for coming on. We had a blast, as always, with you. Thanks for having me back, and let's do it again. And to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we had fun here. We want to invite you to reach out to us, so we want to subscribe, rate, review, do all those wonderful things to support the show. Give reviews. Like us on Facebook. Engage with us. Send us some Twitters at, at movie underscore retro. Uh, send us some Twitters. I don't know if that's... Send us some Twitters, I guess. that's. I said yes. that. Send us some tweets. Yes, you can make fun and of... some M&Ms. Yeah, some M&Ms. <laughs> uh, emails at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And providing and producing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retro movie roundtable any contributions you make will go towards making the show better and are greatly appreciated as always thank you for listening be good to each other and watch more movies chat human beings were not meant to sit in little cubicles staring at computer screens all day filling out useless forms and listening to eight different bosses drone on about mission statements